0: Hi, everyone. And welcome to Hear Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my Linktree at linktr.ee Dan Masterton. That's l i n k t r.ee Dan Masterton. There's links there to all my writing including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this chapter, and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers! Noah liked the feel of adoration that day. He liked the change of pace of coming to the same parish church as usual, but instead of a bustling mass, it was a quiet adoration visit. He liked the chance to come without any format or shape to his prayer. He liked the gentle suggestion the pamphlet made, and most of all, Noah was grateful he could get in the mindset of following faithful, humble advice, both from the Sunday announcements and then from the parish pamphlet. Noah ended up returning once a week for the rest of Easter. The parish campaign ended, and Noah decided he appreciated the reacquaintance with adoration, even if he didn't continue doing it weekly on his own now. It was a capacity that had been reestablished in a life of prayer that was becoming more complete and full. Whereas he had familiarity with the basics of adoration from some exposure in high school and college, his next foray came from way out in left field. Noah wasn't a singer, he wasn't French, and he had never really prayed with mantras. Nonetheless, Noah found himself at a Tizé prayer service. Father Ambrose was at it again. When the retired headmaster stepped into alumni outreach, he took the first few months in his new role that summer to do some thinking and planning. Then he got down to business, spending a few months sending emails, having phone conversations, and ultimately planning the winter alumni retreat to the Trappist Abbey. He had it in his head to try to do something local quarterly. In late winter, it was the food pantry outing. Now well into spring, he pegged a local Tzay prayer service as the next place to gather. He wanted to keep finding gathering points that involved little planning on his part and prioritized a meaningful faith experience. Father Ambrose figured this format enabled spirituality to be the main thing, and for the men to socialize with him and one another to whatever extent they'd like. On this particular Wednesday night, a few music ministers from the area had teamed up to plan and lead an ecumenical prayer service in the style of the Tizay community. A group of ecumenical Christian monks who lived on a hill in rural France shared a life of simplicity and sung prayer and held communal services. The Tizay community's prayer was not only open to the public, but also encouraged visitors to come stay at the dormitories on site and be a part of the community for days or weeks at a time. This prophetic presence often attracted young adults, people of many different cultural backgrounds, people from various Christian traditions, and prayerful expressions in many languages, often all at once. The monks led the music in one language, but welcomed everyone to sing in their own languages, or cycle between languages, along with them. Noah gleaned these basics from Father Ambrose's most recent email invitation. The fit didn't seem natural to Noah. I don't know about this one, Noah chuckled. I'm a monolingual, semi-tone-deaf American who's never been to France. How's this going to go for me? He had exited out of the email and just left it in his inbox rather than deleting it. After a few days of the subject line staring him in the face, he reopened it and abruptly RSVP'd yes. Noah, this is a humble, faithful invitation to prayer from a faith mentor. Follow the trend, man. Are we really still learning this? Noah had to coach himself and coax himself. Father Ambrose had pledged to arrive early to the 7.30 p.m. service and set up shop in an empty area of the pews. He reminded the men they could find him by looking for the elderly man in the Cistercian monk's habit. Sure enough, when Noah arrived five minutes early, there was indeed a habited senior citizen with a small group of five or so men loosely gathered around him. The group was chatting quietly as the instrumentalists warmed up and played through segments of the music. Noah grabbed a program, really just a song sheet, and a candle with taper, and joined the group. He recognized a few faces from the previous outings, but hadn't done well with retaining names. He waved over to Father Ambrose and mowed to hello. Father Ambrose formed his hands into a prayer shape and gently replied, Thank you for coming. A few more Cistercian alumni trickled in and joined their section. At half past the hour, a cantor came to the microphone to introduce the service. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's Tuesday prayer service. Just a few pointers for those of you who have never prayed in this way. Your song sheet has music and lyrics because we want you to sing. The songs are ostinato style, meaning that the verses and refrain are the same length and similar music. So when you hear us singing verses, you can simply continue with the refrain. Keep singing the words or hum along, it's neat. There was a smidge of polite chuckling. Catholics are great at communal chuckles. If you're comfortable, try the harmonies as we mix them in. If you're comfortable, try the other languages as we will be layering them in too. And if you're comfortable, consider resting for periods of time to just listen to the music, the harmonies, the languages, and to God. The first song is our gathering song. During the second song, we'll light our candles, beginning in front and passing the light around to each of you. There will be a gospel reading and brief reflection. Then during the third song, we invite you to come forward to the altar, place your taper in a stack, and say a prayer as you plant your candle in the sand dishes. After that, we will offer a set of communal petitions, after which there will be an extended period of silent prayer. Don't worry about the timing. At a certain point, we'll begin the fourth and final song and bring our service to a close, the cantor explained. We are glad you are here. The cantor stepped back from the ambo microphone and receded to a little ensemble area they had set up where the choir would normally be. There was a cellist, a violinist, a flutist, an accompanist, and the cantor. They had microphones set up over there and apparently would leave the sanctuary empty except for the dishes of sand and lit altar candles. The instrumentalist began to play through the first song, intoning the notes of the refrain to introduce the melody to the congregation. First, the flutist played it through solo. Then, after the echo of that first pass faded, the other instrumentalists joined in to play it all together a second time. On the third pass, the cantor sang, Bless the Lord, my soul, and bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, who leads me into life. Noah was following along on his song sheet. So this is a wonderfully simple and great line, and the music is amazing and does not sound hard to sing. But I'm going to steer clear of harmonies and probably just stick to English, he joked to himself. After listening to one more pass from the music ministers, Noah joined in. After a bit, he became awash in the singing of the refrain, enough that he almost didn't notice when the cantor began mixing in verses over the ensemble, and the congregation's continued singing of the refrain. Okay, okay, this is pretty cool. Noah blessed the Lord with his singing nonstop for a few minutes, and then he decided to try breaking off to listen. All around, among the moderate-sized crowd, he could hear voices modestly joining in intermittently as they gained comfort or moved in and out of taking breaks to listen. The refrain continued to loop. Noah thought it was neat to hear the volume of the congregation rise and fall as people joined in or stepped back. In little distant murmurs, Noah could hear folks singing in other languages. He definitely picked up a Spanish singer somewhere behind him. For a minute, he then tried to power down from observation mode, cool as it was, and see what was there without his looking for it. Deep breaths, Noah. Chill it out, he prodded himself. Noah gently closed his eyes and let his chin sink into his neck a bit. He relaxed his breathing and let the mix of refrain and verse, of melody and harmony, of voice and instrument flow through his air. And he just sat. There had been times these past few months where, rather than finding peace and surrender in the good prayer moments, Noah was pressing toward another experience, another vivid and colorful moment of seeing his discernment unfold. It was so difficult to resist. Even if he knew intellectually that the best thing for him was spiritual patience and peace, it was so hard to remain committed to that. It was only natural to push and pry, at least a little, trying to return to that more profound place. This moment, this first song of the prayer service, was one of these times. Noah was calm and still as he sat, but he was looking for something to happen, almost like a parent whose child tells them to close their eyes for a surprise, when the parent knows exactly what the kid is going to show them. The singing from the ensemble then stopped, and they gradually reduced the repeating refrain down to just the instruments, then just the piano, and then to silence. After a moment's shuffling, they built the sound back up gradually into the second song. The words sailed through the air from the canter, and Noah gradually internalized a new mantra by listening Wait for the Lord, whose day is near. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart. Man, for songs where there's only like a dozen words, these ones really get their money's worth, Noah thought. He liked the potency of these simple lines and was quickly finding why their repetition was so effective in prayer. This time, Noah's mind was drawn not just to the music and singing coming into his ears but also to the proliferating light that was breaking through the dim evening to reach his eyes. The cantor had stepped away from the ensemble once the song was going. She lit her candle from ones already lit on the altar, and made her way to a few folks in the front row. Meanwhile the whispered words of the passing of light were reverberating through the air as the light brightened the space. People alternated there, received the light of Christ, and, thanks be to God, the words taking their turns bouncing off the church walls. Soon the light made it to Noah and his group, who took their turn in the ritual as well, helping to bring candlelight to the rest of the church. After a few more minutes, the second song gave way to the gospel. The cantor again was the one to tend to the ministries, first to music, then to the light, and now to the word. She reached the ambo and began. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he said in reply, The coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed, and no one will announce, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is among you. She paused and invited all to respond. The gospel of the Lord. Noah nodded, savoring the pithy passage. Plain and simple, right Lord? Noah thought, chuckling silently. So we won't notice the kingdom of God when it shows up, or we will? Is it like when you have something stuck in your front teeth, like you don't really know until someone tells you? Noah decided to stop self homilizing at that point. He didn't much know what he was thinking about, other than thinking it'd be neat to be self aware of the inbreaking of God's reign. Someday he'd learn it was there already, but also not yet. The kingdom was breaking into the world in the presence of Christ, in the interior spirituality of God's people, and in the Eschatological Church that had an eye on its fulfillment in Christ. And either way, when Noah's spiritual inner monologue got cheeky, it was a sign that he was in a good place with God. Noah cut himself off just in time, because the ensemble had begun the third song. A few intonations and melody refrains later, the cantor again broke off from the ensemble to lead the prayer, this time a ritual. She approached the altar where a few dishes of sand were situated atop the table. The woman removed her taper, placed it on the altar, and planted the slender white candle firmly in the sand, drips of clearish white wax hardening gradually on its stalk as it stood still ablaze with flickering flame. She stepped back from the altar to the second step. There she bowed her head, and with folded hands, paused in prayer. At that point, a few others were already approaching the altar to follow her example, as the flame-lit brightness of the church started to migrate into the sanctuary. Noah felt compelled to go forward right away. Sometimes in communal prayer situations, Catholics can be a bit bashful about taking their turn. For whatever reason, Noah was feeling more sure of himself and wanted to set his candle and pray. He made his way forward and approached the altar as two others prayed and a third person headed back to their seat. Noah removed his taper to add it to the stack and dug the base of his candle into the sand. The sand was just loose enough to give way to the stump of the stalk, but just firm enough to close solidly around it and hold it steady. Noah gently backpedaled. He noticed the two people were remaining nearby, one on either side of him, so he split the difference. He decided to kneel. Still, Noah was kind of pressing. He was sort of peering around each prayer corner to see if a profound experience was awaiting even though he knew that sort of attitude seemed to scare away the deeper senses. After a few moments, Noah decided this might not be the best place to hunker down and try to dig deep. Instead, he took a gentle breath and settled on his gratitude, propelling it upward as a prayer offering with the flickering flames and wisps of smoke. Latching onto this alumni group, being a committed member, he'd come to all three gatherings so far, and finding a quiet, steady confidence with his life of faith were all causes for gratitude in his heart. Thankful to Father Ambrose, to Joan, to his old housemates, to God. Lord, thank you for the gifts you give me. Thank you for not measuring me and only giving me grace according to some means testing. I appreciate that I am learning to go where your love leads me. Please keep showing me your love, and I will strive to sustain my gratitude and follow where you lead, Noah prayed. He finished with a small nod and sprung up to his feet to head back to his seat. Now that he put his light on the altar, Noah was more aware of the music in the relative dark of the pews. The lines of the song were circling his ears and heart as he walked back to his seat. He hadn't looked at the song sheet or began to sing along yet, so he first honed in on the lyrics. He gently squinted mid-stroll to listen along more closely and extract the words from the air. May the still, small voice of God be heard within our hearts, be heard in our hearts this day. A subtle smile crept across Noah's face as the line unveiled itself. This simple line gave articulate expression to a thread of his prayer that had started spinning back at the monastery months ago. The full serendipity would have been if Noah realized that this refrain was drawn from the same passage in the first book of Kings that Father Ambrose had tapped into for the meditation he offered the men that first evening on the retreat. Noah found his seat again and joined in the song while people continued to bring their candles and prayers forward to the altar. When that third song concluded, the cantor began to speak, introducing prayers of the faithful as a way of bringing the prayers of the community together. It was a lengthy list, a clear reflection of various backgrounds and experiences, likely a product of various veteran ministers, bringing so many passion-fueled ministries to the prayerful hearts of those gathered. The plea for the Lord to hear these many prayers continued in call and response for a few minutes. Then, after what Noah didn't initially realize was the last petition, there was silence. About 30 seconds in, Noah acknowledged that this indeed was the promised time of extended silence. He relaxed his posture a bit, feeling comfortable with the quiet, both from his strengthening personal prayer life and from the way that the songs effectively settle everyone into a good place. Noah gently closed his eyes. He felt particularly connected to that last refrain and seized on it as a centering mantra, tweaking it a bit to own it in first person. May the still, small voice of God be heard within my heart today may the still small voice of god be heard within my heart today may the still small voice of god be heard within my heart today noah prayed silently it was a bit different to use a statement about god in place of a prayer that addresses god or an intercessor directly but the repetition and simplicity of it achieved the desired effect it softened noah's surroundings even further than the gentle candlelight and artfully muted music and singing already had Noah sunk even a bit deeper into the ripening silence, the way you might submerge a bit more of your shoulders and neck in the warm, enveloping waters of a hot tub. In Noah's relaxed, prayerful posture, he somehow could feel the silence sustained around him, save for a mild shuffle of someone's feet or legs slightly repositioning. He nonchalantly looked around from his place at the head of a mid-grade conference table. The woody top was covered by a sleek and clean sheet of glass. Resting on the glass were an array of folios, legal pads, smartphones, and an idle conference call speakerphone. Seated around that buffet of business paraphernalia were a group of professionally dressed men and women, collared button-down shirts, some ties, a few jackets, whether still being worn or now draped over chair backs, a few pantsuits, and even a bright, solid, long-sleeved dress. All right, one of the men broke in, as everyone broke their stillness and straightened up into more active postures. The man added, thank you, Congressman, for keeping that habit alive. Always good to start with a moment of quiet for prayer, the man said, gesturing to one of the staffers who apparently had reminded the group of that regular practice. Noah nodded instinctively, acknowledging that silent staffer. The man looked a bit familiar. Noah hesitated. Wait, what? Is he talking to me? Congressman? Noah thought. He noted he had no pads or papers in front of his place. At his chest, his suit jacket was unbuttoned around a crisp white dress shirt and red patterned tie. He unbuttoned the jacket as he sat forward in his chair to listen. Let's do a quick reset here, the same man began. Noah looked to the opposite wall and the area around the table. No projector, no screen, no easel. This was just a discussion. All right, I need to focus up here, Noah concluded. So the congressman came up through the Ohio State House. He was minding his business as an insurance claims adjuster volunteering in local elections when the Democrats recruited him to run. He was always an independent, but he was volunteering with Democratic candidates that cycle, and there was a path in his district where he could fit the bill. Noah was listening intently, not at all focused on the weirdness of listening to his own autobiography and authentic ignorance. We knew he was not in favor of abortion rights, but neither he nor the district needed that to be the main issue. The party helped with polling and messaging, and the people of his district elected him in a close one and then re-elected him in three more close ones until he was term-limited. The congressman always insisted on low spin on having the latitude to speak his mind on the issues, pitching himself as a trustee rather than a delegate, the man explained, gesturing to Noah. Noah was sharpening up as he listened. He remembered from political science class that there were two basic schools of thought on representation, trustees who take office to make their own best judgments and delegates who take office to represent the positions of their constituency. Neither theoretical approach was entirely practically possible, but Noah had always thought American politics was essentially a matter of trustees, even if some term lengths pressure representatives to act more like delegates. And the congressman wasn't afraid to lose, preferring defeat over spinning what he sought to stand for. So it was interesting when the DCCC invited us to run for the U.S. House. I don't think the congressman was ready to retire from politics, but we weren't sure what was next. Well, we stepped up, won a primary over a progressive challenger, and had to saddle up for a showdown in the general. The Republicans ran a hardliner who tried to appeal to and deep-seated conservatism and went after the congressman for not opposing abortion in cases of rape, incest, and the health of the mother. And boy, did that fail, he explained. We should have lost that race by at least five points, and we eked out a win by a few hundred precious votes. The room interrupted the man with a modest round of gleeful applause. That opponent did not seem well-liked. Noah smiled with them. Now, he resumed explaining, the state legislature has gone and gerrymandered us into an even tougher race. They've redrawn our border just enough to drag that natural edge for Republicans out to 10 or 15 points. And I'm not sure where the margin for victory comes that gets us from over the top and able to stay in office come January. We've got six months to determine our plan or we'll be a one-hit wonder heading back to Ohio after just this single term. The staffer let that reality breathe for a minute. The air of the room was properly tense. So these are the stakes Noah gathered. This is pretty wild. State and federal politics? I've always enjoyed them theoretically, intellectually, even as boots on the ground for this candidate or that. But I was an active campaign volunteer and a candidate now? On the ballot, in the office, on the committees recording votes? Noah tossed all the facts around for a minute. It does sound realistic. The approach he described is the way I do it. I mean, I could see being a more liberal Republican too, but I think I make some sense as an outlier of a more conservative Democrat. And who knows what being a moderate sticks to his principles, trustee of a Democratic House rep really looks like. But that all sounds like me, Noah thought. So, the staffer resumed, let's toss around the strategies. We need to talk the congressman through all of this and start to coalesce around a plan, at least for starters. First up, he gestured to the woman in the bright dress. One option? Let's get more to the middle, even right of center. You're opposed to abortion, and Ohioans love that. You're somewhat of a deficit hawk who supports social programs but wants reasonable limits, at least relative to the party. So let's celebrate your fiscal discipline, your desire for targeted spending that helps people without bloat. You're a Christian and you believe America should be active in living its faith. Let's make some speeches and set messaging around the religious liberty, religious freedom, the centrality of faith-based groups and churches in American life, she suggested. The male staffer who spoke before and the others at the table variously shook their heads, nodded along, or murmured in criticism and agreement. Then a different man took over. There's also the idea of tacking left. We could go hard into liberal policy. We stand for paid family and medical leave, including for new parents. We want universal public pre-K and a subsidy system and contribution cap on childcare costs. We want a path to citizenship for DACA youth and undocumented people. We want green infrastructure and spending. The first man now held up a hand and nodded, indicating the explanation need not go further. Now the first man looked to Noah. Congressman, I feel like we could drill down pretty deep, but those are thumbnails of the most basic options. We're professional Hill staffers, well, most of us, and we are paid to go on and on and on. But if you're not on board, it doesn't go anywhere. What are you thinking? He asked Noah straight up. Oh boy, I mean, I've often turned over in my head what a congressional campaign or a Hill office could look like or run like, but it's a whole other question to look at all in the eye. I mean, here's the table, the staff, the crossroads. Apparently, I made it this far by winning close elections by a hair and showing the people what I stand for, and that's been enough to be voted into a decade's worth of public service. Why would we get too obsessed over messaging and packaging now? I'm here to represent my community as myself, Noah wondered bluntly. I mean, okay, let's give this a whirl. Time to externalize these ideas and passions and see if I make any sense. I know that this can be tiresome for some people, Noah started, as he looked around. This is from the Gospel of John. Noah noticed most of the folks trying to sustain poker faces and otherwise maintain neutrality, rather than betray their mild annoyance. When the soldiers stripped Jesus before the cross, they were going to tear up his tunic, but they noticed it was a seamless garment. That meant it was a finer linen and a valuable piece to leave intact, so rather than tear it apart, they cast lots to see who could get it. We, well, Catholics, I guess, and most Christians, look to this as a metaphor for the value of life. And really, I suspect more Americans would ascribe to the idea if their reasoning didn't start so instinctively with party politics. Human lives are completely inherently dignified and valuable, from conception to natural death. Just like the seamless garment, there's no place where there's a loose seam, a weak point, or a perforation. Life's deep value is totally inalienable, Noah shared. So far, so good. That was pretty solid, Noah self-affirmed. It seemed like the skepticism in the room remained, but was at least softened by Noah's opening statement. I used to have sort of a bad habit with politics. I would live or die by whichever party I sided more with in a particular moment in time. I would then end up warping and skewing myself into what I believed fit the party politics I sought until I realized I didn't like what I was doing. I thought abortion was an evil action, a sad tragedy, and something that should be made exceptionally uncommon and rare, regardless of what party has Congress or the White House or more judicial appointees on the benches. I had to retrain myself to start not from party platforms or public dynamics, but instead from the gospel, from Catholic social teaching ideals, from Christ, Noah declared. He could feel himself getting a little more self-confident. So instead of wondering how a position fits into a party platform, into a campaign strategy, into a districting map, I really try hard to ask what is the position that is true and right. Then maybe a political party is the vehicle to gain exposure and have a platform for that message. To whatever extent, it may or may not be welcome and supported, but that's the wager I made when I accepted the invitation to get into this, Noah asserted, based on what he had heard from the group. And I don't want to waver from that idealism, even if it means losing, Noah stated boldly. Noah took a breath. The mood of the room was not inspired. Well, might as well keep going. So what does that look like? It means no to liberal abortion access, which might buck the party but reflects my constituency and my beliefs. It means trying to find legislative compromise that reduces the window for abortion rights and seeks reasonable restrictions, closely in concert with a growing culture of life. It means yes to building out an infrastructure for babies, mothers, and families. A system has to be enshrined in laws and budgets that provides paid family and medical leave, including for new parents, a restructured and totally refundable child tax credit that converts the help you get from next year's taxes into advanced monthly cash. A system of childcare cost caps and subsidies that give parents a way to budget for childcare or get a credit or even cash for staying home to do it themselves. It means working toward greater access to preschool education and exploring ways to equitably and fairly sustain school voucher and school choice systems so that families have a path to access private and particularly faith based education with help, if they choose, that doesn't gut public funding. It means acknowledging the need for secure borders, for robustly financed customs and border protection that protects our country, but treats people in transit with dignity and not as prey. It also means enshrining DACA in law to protect innocent children whose status shouldn't be in doubt, and creating a pathway to citizenship for law-abiding people who are undocumented as we consider reforms to the legal immigration system. It means yes to the Paris Climate Accords and the multilateral efforts at honoring its targets. It means acknowledging the developed world's complicity in climate complications and underwriting climate infrastructure worldwide so that we repair the harm we've caused to the global climate without sticking island and coastal nations with disproportional bills. And it means domestic businesses acknowledging that it cannot just be a dependence on yet undeveloped technology, but must also be a reduction in carbon output, pollution, and consumption that starts now. It means getting everyone to acknowledge that universal health care is a must. Even if that means vigorous debates over reforming private health care, creating new public-private parallel systems, or moving toward a single-payer national plan, we need to relocate that benefit further from the employer in some meaningful way, and make sure that people do well visits, are cared for when sick, and don't have to choose medical care based on their ability or inability to pay. Maybe that even paves the way to relocate paid medical and family leave from the employers to an emerging system, too. It means acknowledging that the Second Amendment might be an intractable element of America, while also debating and enacting realistic limits to the extent to which it protects the right. Reasonable gun control is a life issue, and frankly, I think fewer guns is the solution to the problem, not more guns. It means acknowledging the disparities in this country and their lineage and privilege and systematic injustices, whether intended or unintended, in race, ethnicity, sex, gender, family background, hometowns, and more. Privilege is a reality we have to admit and confront. It starts with ongoing efforts in this office to recruit and hire more diverse staff for DC and for the home offices, and in my continued acknowledgement of my own privilege and a better response to it. And yes, it means protecting religious liberties and freedoms, but not just for Christians, for people of all faiths, and respect for humanists and atheists too. We need to honor the place of churches, mosques, synagogues, and all places of worship as central to community life. And make space for faith based groups and all those of goodwill to be agents of charity and justice in society. Noah stopped. He took a few consecutive hurried breaths. His heart rate had picked up with the animation in his voice, but he wasn't nervous. He had just worked up a bit of a lather and needed to simmer down. The looks on his staffers' faces were a mix of feeling impressed, surprised, proud, and skeptical. Noah decided to soldier on, wanting to hit not just on policy, but on practice. And we need to be less hunkered down in this office. We have a job to do to prepare properly for committee hearings and meetings, for floor debates, for votes, but we also have hundreds of thousands of people to maintain an active dialogue with. We need to keep an open door, have a pulse on their concerns, and prove our preparedness to listen and respond. We need to be present to community gatherings and celebrate the good news of our communities, too. Our office should be a means for practical good locally in our district. A place where whatever weight my name may carry and our connectivity in the community solves problems and meets needs. We need to smell like our sheep, you know? The looks on the faces were still respectful, but he didn't feel like he had rallied his team to go win the big game. It just felt like he was the one currently doing all the talking in an open and unresolved debate. I think I'm losing them. I think I lost them. Did I ever have them? Oh man, I don't know. Maybe they are now sure they're looking at a loser. But apparently I'm the guy who does it on my own terms and finds a modest majority is with me. So on we go, Noah decided. What if we worry less about being Democrats? What if we also don't worry about not being Republicans? What if we're just the Ohio 16 party? What if we just stand for the consistent ethic of life and the people of our district as best we can, even if that sometimes is frictious or complex or unclear, Noah wondered aloud. What if we're an independent movement that succeeds in a moment and emboldens others? What if we're the roots of a centrist caucus that inches toward 218 seats from the middle out? What if 51 senators copy that playbook? And you know what, Noah admitted? If it means we lose re-election, then we lose re-election. If it means we can't win, then we can go down standing for something countercultural and prophetic. And we find the closest neighbors to our ideals and endorse them. Maybe we focus more on identifying female candidates or candidates of color who stand with us. And who we can amplify with our incumbency. Noah rested now for a minute. He let his shoulders deflate a bit and slouched slightly in his chair, resting his hands in his lap. I don't know, he let fly, admitting the loftiness of his idealism a bit more at the conclusion than he did midstream. The initial silence was fairly damning. If these were great ideas, you'd think one or more people would have applauded or cheered or jumped right in to affirm the congressman. After a few moments, the first staffer broke the ice. Well, Congressman, you've given us a lot to think about. You've always been an admirable person of principle, he began. The next pause betrayed the struggle he was having finding the right tone, so he just went on. But we've been handed a district that has stacked the deck against us to lose, even more than it already was. At this point, another staffer spoke up, previously tentative about being critical, but emboldened now that the dam had broken. We were lucky to win before, and now it'll be more of a moonshot to get reelected. This district is an R-plus-12 probably now. Even with you as a fairly ideal candidate for the Democrats to have a chance, we still need to do some packaging and messaging to optimize even further. Our only chance would be going all the way there and catching some breaks when the other side trips up, or maybe when we get some donors or endorsements. Yet another staffer now piled on. The DCCC will mostly respect your incumbency and not seriously consider a primary challenge, but that doesn't mean they won't let you flap in the breeze and leave you underfunded and undersupported while you languish and they focus on more winnable seats elsewhere. You have a good ship and you steer the ship with integrity, but you will almost certainly go down on that ship. That's not the whole story, though, a female staffer observed. She took a beat to put space between her thought and the other's comments. Everything you said, the platform you want to stand on, there's probably only a few voters who would agree with that whole package, but there's going to be plenty of folks who agree with half or more of it, and who might take the time to consider whether your version is more preferable to a cardboard cutout Republican. The major issue that remains is the extent to which you'll actually be able to message that to voters. Like, how can we deliver that degree of nuance to voters and overcome misperceptions or mischaracterizations of you? That might make a narrow, vaguely possible path, but even if I'm with you in principle, I lose you in practice. I don't see that approach functionally working in any significant, impactful way. The mood of the room was fragile. The pep of Noah's speech never materialized around the table. The air absorbed all this doubt, and Noah sensed that, even before his speech, there might have been some terminal pessimism about the future anyway. He opted to sit tight and say nothing while the air was cycled. The first staffer again took charge. Well, today was just the start. We just got the maps. We just learned our districts. Our first ideas don't have to be our last ideas. These are all thoughtful contributions. Thank you, Congressman. And now we have a chance to step back and sit on it a bit. He paused and looked around. He was met with a lot of quiet nods, Noah included. So let's stick a pin in it for today then. Thank you, Congressman, he concluded. The others all murmured a thank you as well, and the first staffer stood at the door to guide them all out. As he trailed the group, Noah heard that first man clearly tell a fellow staffer, get me D C right away. Noah curled his lip and shifted his jaw around, chewing on all that had just happened. As he reclined a bit in his chair, he noticed one person still at the table. This is the guy who had to start with prayer. Why didn't he speak up during that whole thing? What's the deal? Noah wondered. Why didn't he follow the herd out the door just now? Noah straightened up and leaned forward to chill out, resting his elbows on the table. He looked over at the man. He was sitting cross-legged in the chair, looking down toward his shoes and thinking. The man could feel Noah's gaze starting to pierce through him, so he looked up at the congressman. By God, it's Francis, Noah realized. He smiled. Francis smiled back. You know, I wasn't quite sure why you asked for my help, Francis started. I have no background in political science, no political ambition, no affection for Washington. And then I sit here and see the dissonance. You clearly get it, and you clearly reject it. If you've gotten this far, why would you buckle and fold? Well, I guess because if you don't change, you may well lose, Francis and Noah laughed. But the difference is, you could live with losing. Most of them couldn't. If I held to my ideals and lost, I could live with it, Noah agreed. If I changed who I am or how I do this, then I couldn't. Then that's when I realized why you brought me here. To make sure you did the former and not the latter. To remind you what my friend told me during our volunteer year and as I got into law. If you have to compartmentalize your faith out of your work, then it's not worth doing, Francis stated. Noah nodded. Good advice indeed, he thought. I don't remember why, but I do remember saying that to Francis. And apparently you're the one who makes sure we pray when we gather, Noah added. That I do. That I do. Whether everyone likes it or not. Hey, so what were you praying when we started? Everyone takes silent moments, and I often wonder how other people use that time. What did you do? Francis asked. Noah thought for a second and then remembered the mantra he was on. Whoa, he thought. That does work really well. I was praying, may the still small voice of God be heard in my heart today. Francis gave Noah a pretty legit, impressed face. Hmm, Francis wondered. Let me try that one. May the still small voice of God be heard in my heart today. Francis paused. Then he repeated it aloud more and picked up the pace. Noah decided to close his eyes and let his friend lead him in prayer. May the still small voice of God be heard in my heart today. Now at a faster clip, Francis's voice got quieter. May the still small voice of God be heard in my heart today. Francis heard the first notes of an up-tempo song. And at opportune moments in the upbeat rhythm, there were little chimes. He opened his eyes to the candlelit church once again. His refocusing vision started on the dishes of sand, full of flames bouncing almost in time before the ensemble and their musical tempo. Added to the instrumentation now was a pair of tiny cymbals hung from short strings held by the canter. Noah listened. Laudate Dominum, Laudate Dominum, Omnis Gentis, Alleluia. Laudate Dominum, Laudate Dominum, omnis gentis. Alleluia. Latin, Noah thought. What does it mean? Noah's eyes peered through the dimness to refer to his song sheet. The English lyrics were there too. Sing praise and bless the Lord. Sing praise and bless the Lord. Peoples, nations. Alleluia. Noah looked back up as the congregation joined along in this last song. Amen, he thought. Laudate Domini. Earlier this year, the great uh, radio and now podcast host, Gloria Purvis, did an episode where she had the outgoing president of America Media, Father Matt Malone, SJ, on her podcast. They talked about a lot of different things, his favorite memories from his time uh, as president of America Media, different articles that they've done in the magazine, different things that he's been connected to in his leadership over these years. But one of the most interesting things that he commented on was politics and how Catholics engage in political life while still being committed Catholics and being true to the faith and true to the church. One of the things he pointed out was, we have a tendency to do some gymnastics, to make ourselves fit as Democrats who are maybe just disappointed about the stance on abortion or Republicans who wish more was done for social justice. When in reality, what we need to do is start not from the platform of one party or another, but to start from the gospel, to start from the person of Christ, to start from Catholic social teaching, and to only from there get into how what we believe, what we stand for, what we advocate for out of justice, then matches up with referenda or political positions or legislative packages or politicians who are on the ballot in primaries and general elections. And that's really stuck with me. I identify as an ideological moderate and a political independent and I've often felt that I don't really have a great home in either of the two major parties in America and while I wrestle with that in different ways in different elections and different candidates the thing I really find hope in in terms of political change is first of all keeping that mindset that Father Malone suggests in mind that we start from the gospel from Christ and from Catholic social teaching and work our way out instead of starting from a political party or political candidate. But secondly, in some of the reforms that are starting to become more common in American politics, chief among them being open primaries or top two, top four jungle primaries, where we as voters are not forced to identify with a party and select a candidate from that party or another, but instead can just vote from among all available candidates and send the top two or top four through to the general even if there are multiple candidates from the same party, and in the future, hopefully, getting candidates from third parties, so to speak, to be a part of that final group in the general. Even more than that, I find a lot of hope and promise in ranked choice voting. The idea here being that you rank your preferred candidates from one to perhaps five, and that even if you find yourself liking a third-party candidate, you don't have to consider it a spoiler or a wasted vote. Because if you do prefer the Republican to the Democrat or the Democrat to the Republican, you can put that major party candidate second or third on your ballot on your ranked choice. And if your um, first choice votes from across the district or the constituency don't reach a majority, all of the votes of the bottom earning candidate, those voters' second choices are counted, and you work your way to a majority and you earn a candidate who has made a broader appeal to more of the voters, and you give a chance to third parties and smaller movements to make some hay, to rally voters, and to gain electoral data that demonstrates that there's a constituency for who they are and what they stand for, even if it's slightly different or contradictory to the two major parties and the false binary that we're usually offered. So I find a lot of hope there and continue kind of holding the line as a moderate independent hoping that those reforms can start to break open multi-party politics and give us more space for fewer faulty dilemmas and a more nuanced chance to reflect a culture of life, a consistent ethic of life, and fuller, more complete gospel social justice for all people, especially people who are on the margins. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my Linktree, linktr.ee/danmasterton. That's linkt Dan danmasterton Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.